Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Alright, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be covering the Mavericks 103-100 to victory versus the Utah Jazz last night. For those of you listening on this Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, whenever you're listening, well, the Mavericks actually played Wednesday night versus the Jazz. Luka Doncic had his seventh game in a row of scoring 30-plus points. Um, I don't know the exact statistical marker in terms of the significance of that, but I remember last one one game behind the Wilt Chamberlain. No, one game behind Wilt Chamberlain because I know the sixth game was he was tied with Michael Jordan in terms of starting a season with the amount of games in a row scoring 30 plus points. He had 33 points, 11 assists, and five rebounds. And I think by all you know, per Luca standards, this was definitely more so of an average Luca game, which is just goes to show the level of basketball that he's playing to start this season. Spencer Dinwiddie contributed hugely to the Mavericks victory tonight. He had 20 points field goal wise. It looks kind of rough in that department, eight for 20, four for 11 from three, but he did a lot of things. I think that were, I guess, outside of the normal Spencer Dinwiddie performance Four steals, extremely active in passing lanes actually completed a lob pass tonight. He was able to successfully co- complete an alley-oop pass to Christian Wood, something that we typically throughout these first few games have criticized Dinwiddie at nauseum for his uh, build, his non-ability rather to <laughs> throw an entry pass or throw a lob pass. But on a serious note, he actually did play pretty good. And Christian Wood had 21 points and 10 rebounds. He was largely effective in only 23 minutes off the bench for the Mavericks, 10 for 15 field goal shooting and a slew of other Mavericks role players contributed in this one, including Reggie Bullock. Uh, not really so much throughout the game, but he did hit a go ahead three that helped the Mavericks uh, go ahead and win this game as well as a slew of other role players, such as Josh Green and Maxi Kleber that contributed hugely on the defensive side of things for the Mavericks in this one. And we'll be getting into all of that here on today's podcast. But before we do that, here is an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaron. So getting into this one, the Mavericks had a rough start to the first, um, just in the first quarter in general. The Jazz outscored the Mavericks by 12. Uh, they led 35 to 23 after the first quarter. The defense from the Mavericks, just in terms of their perimeter defense, particularly, honestly, just with mainly Luka Doncic, I'd say he was kind of the main perpetrator in terms of the Mavericks defensive problems in this first quarter was just letting anybody in any who blow by him. And this led to the jazz being able to Genesis, you know, Mavericks defenders collapsing within the paint as soon as the jazz were able to get close to the rim off of Luca blow by. And then it just led to a domino effect, which they kicked the ball out and they swing it around the horn till they'd find an open three. And this persisted, honestly, you know, kind of probably maybe through the, you know, maybe one-fourth of the way through the second quarter where guys like Mike Conley 
Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley were just be, you know, they were essentially just be, they were gave these wide open threes um, almost with no contest. The Mavericks were not doing a good job of closing out on shooters within um, that first portion of the game. I guess, what is your reaction to the way the Mavericks came out the gate? And did you think that this was going to be a fun night based on the Mavericks start to the game? Yeah, no, I mean, just to clarify, I didn't watch the game, but I kept up with it, like through box score and everything like that. Um, you know, to start the game, uh, I want to say it was off to a, a shaky start um, from what I can remember. And I, th- I, f- I believe it was like 24 to 15 at one point. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I thought, you know, I was like, okay, like, you know, it's a slow start. Uh, and this is just kind of like a buildup of what we've really came to almost expect on this Mavericks team is just like this slow, not really caring, like start. And it, 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 it picked up throughout the game. It kind of seemed like, you know, at, at one point in the third quarter, they were down by 15 and then the team rallied, uh, you know, to eventually pull this one out. But, you know, to start the game, like I, I didn't feel too confident. And I mean, again, to clarify, I wasn't watching the game, but I was keeping up with it as best as I could. Um, and it just kind of seemed like, you know, slowly they kind of fought back in that second quarter. I believe they outscored them by like nine or eight uh, by the end of the second. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, like you mentioned, like to start the game, it just, I, I wasn't feeling too confident about it. No, for sure. And, you know, as that second quarter persisted, the Mavericks started to find some offensive answers to the wounds that they created for themselves in that first quarter. You know, the Mavericks, you know, I guess they scored relatively, you know, about similarly, I guess, you know, just numerically from that first to second quarter, they had 23 in the first and 24 in the second quarter, but the Mavericks offense looked a lot more fluid in that second quarter. Just from the standpoint of Spencer Dinwiddie really coming into fruition as a guy that was continually attacking and attacking assertively. He was getting into the lane at will, and it seemed that he, you know, he was pushing in transition. The Mavericks were starting to rebound better. At one point in the second quarter, they had, they were losing the rebound battle by like 12 or 13. And the Jazz were really just outworking them on the glass. I mean, it's not like, you know, the, the Jazz obviously do have a, you know, a bigger front court with Markinen, Olenek, and Vanderbilt. But, I mean, for the Mavericks to just get outworked by that was blatant and honestly kind of sad, just given that they do have the personnel in terms of the big men that they possess and Luka to be able to rebound a little bit better than that. And, you know, once the Mavericks started to get a few more rebounds, get it out and transition a little faster, Dinwiddie, really came into his own in terms of being able to push the ball and, um, you know, off of, you know, attacking. He was able to, you know, the defense either collapse, you know, most times he would either finish at the rim, but, you know, sometimes he'd kick it out to the top of the key and they would create, you know, five-on-four scenarios for the Mavericks to which, you know, guys could attack off closeouts. There was one play where Dorian Finney-Smith attacked off closeout and got an easy layup, something we're starting to see him – do a little more as the season goes on, um, especially in these last few games, something that we had not seen the first couple of games of the year. This is, you know, something that we're going to need from Dorian, at least to a mild extent as we go forward, even if it's not going to be, you know, a major hallmark of his game by any means, nor has it really ever have, have, has it been, but I, you know, 
at least, you know, to a level that it was at last year, I would, I would like to see, you know, his ability to get to the rim and spurts um, come back into fruition. But yeah, no, I mean, barring that, Luca, um, you know, I obviously, you know, it was pretty clear that the Jazz were not too switch heavy tonight. Luca was yeah. able to, uh, you know, continually, uh, once he got a mismatch on either a Clarkson or a Conley, who, you know, it, albeit as good as, you know, playmakers and shot creators as they are, none of those guys are going to be able to defend Luca, especially Conley. Uh, I mean, especially Clarkson. And Luca kind of just backed those guys down into oblivion. Uh, you know, he was operating within the mid range to start that first quarter. Um, then once he started getting the post up game, it was, it was kind of over, you know, whatever help defense or counter the Jazz brought at any point in this one didn't really matter. He had a really tough and one over Lori Markinen at one point uh, that I distinctly remember in that second quarter. And it kind of just went to show the just how easy it was getting for him. You know, if you don't put your best wing defender on him, he's just going to have a complete field day in terms of his ability to collapse, the, make the defense collapse and his ability to get to the rim. And we see this time and time again in every game that Luca plays. Um, but the Jazz, I didn't, I don't know if they were the best showcase in terms of a um, tutorial on how to defend Luca. Not that there is one, but yeah. they definitely did not um, – did they, they did not exceed expectations um, yeah i mean uh for for luca you know as a guy who excels in that kind of one-on-one offense you know you you have to put another body in for the for the jazz uh just as a team like they're not very switch heavy and so whenever you get paired up with a, a guy like luca Doncic, you know you have to have some help side defender and i think that's a telltale or a uh jesus a uh, tell reason why you know luca had 11 assists at the end of the game is because he it was just easy kickouts uh, to wide open shooters. I know at one point, Josh Green was, it was an easy drive for Luca. It was a one-on-one, you know, Josh's guy had to collapse and it was a wide open three. Um, you know, I, I think defensively there was, I, I mean, and this is just, I, I only got to watch the highlights. So I'm just trying to speak on the positives here. Um, it just kind of seemed like Luca was, he just had a lot more, you know, passing abilities because, you know, to guys, uh you know, like you have to collapse on him. That's the thing is you can't leave him one-on-one, especially with the Jordan Clarksons, because I believe Clarkson was his main defender tonight. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, I believe Clarkson was his main defender tonight, you know, as, you know, Clarkson just can't defend him one-on-one. I, I You know, to say that, I don't think anybody, unless you're Lou Dort trying to tackle him, but I don't think anybody can defend him one-on-one. I mean, I think Vanderbilt saw some minutes on him at times, but I would definitely agree that I think I saw Clark, Clarkson on him more so than anybody else. Um, I mean, the only thing that Luca really did wrong in this game, uh, obviously, A, the defense, um, especially in that first half. It got better as the game went on, I would say, particularly off ball. Um, he had one steal in transition that was um, pretty impressive within um, when the Jazz had, like, barely crossed half court that I distinctly remember. But um, I, I think, B, what was really kind of – just kicking himself and the Mavericks in the foot in this one was Lucas turnovers. Luke had five turnovers tonight. Um, but most of these were pretty like dumbfounded turnovers. He was attempting some pretty wild passes within that second quarter, just jumping up, spinning in midair, you know, things that we've seen him complete. Um, but you know, when you try to do something like that, that crazy, 
in excess, even even Luca Magic is going to have his limitations at yeah. times when you're continually doing behind the back, you know, reverse air passes. Um, it's it's not always going to, you know, NBA defenses are going to be, you know, wild and athletic and lengthy enough to be able to, you know, catch those because you're not always going to be able to throw those with complete pinpoint accuracy as much as I would love to say Luca can. And he has done that at times with those passes, but, you know, he, he seemed as if he was kind of just toying to an extent with the jazz when he didn't really have the luxury to do so. And he, he was able to uh, make a swift adjustment within the second half, which was uh, well needed, but uh, that was definitely um, kind of nerve wracking within the first half, I would say. Um, yeah. So, you know, then the Mavericks went into halftime down 47 to 50. They had cut a once 15 point lead to a three point lead. Then, you know, at, at the start of the third quarter was very reminiscent of the typical third quarter Mavs. The Jazz got off the gates really fast. The Mavericks looked really bad in terms of closing out on shooters. Um, it wasn't even as much. I thought the Mavericks defensive rotations is it just they looked really lackadaisical. They, they weren't putting a hand up. And, you know, while the Jazz did have a really good shooting game in this one um, up until, they, you know, the latter half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter. Um, it, you know, a lot of it, honestly, I thought was effort-based from the Mavericks. And, you know, Jason Kidd took a timeout earlier in that uh, third quarter, and things started to flip the script for the Mavericks. They, you know, guys really started to contribute positively. And I think the main catalyst in terms of the Mavericks being able to really turn that thing around was their zone defense. You know, they played it in spurts in the first half, but in the second half, you know, with really no other defensive answer, the Mavericks went to this zone. And at one point, the Mavericks featured a lineup of Luca, Spencer, Tim Hardaway Jr., um, Dorian, and Christian Wood, if I'm correct. Um, and it may have been Maxi instead of Christian Wood. Don't quote me on that. But anyhow, I mean, essentially with that lineup, you know, you only have, really have one defender yeah. in Dorian. and everybody else is, you know, primarily an offensive player and the Mavericks were able to survive those minutes, you know, strictly because of their zone defense. Um, it really seemed like, you know, you know, albeit the jazz are, you know, playing well beyond their means to start the season. They are a younger team. And it really seems as if the Mavericks were able to throw them off kilter with this zone defense uh, that they played um, throughout really long spurts in the second half. And it caused the jazz to, take some unsolicited threes. The Jazz did not seem that they really were able to figure out the holes in the zone in terms of, you know, finding that middle middle ground, you know, getting to that, you know, floater, you know, mid-range area. Um, the Mavericks, you know, were, you know, honestly, they were pretty synchronized in terms of their zone. And it seemed like guys communicated well, um, they, they just kind of had it down to a T versus in the first half when the Mavericks zone kind of looked out of whack in the, in the times that they did play it, they did play some man as well in the first half. Um, so that was honestly a really interesting development. And, you know, I'm intrigued to see the Mavericks play more zone here as we go through the season, you know, it's not something that you can do on a continual basis because NBA offense um, offenses and NBA coaching staffs are really smart and they'll figure you out quick. But, you know, the Mavericks did play zone at times last year, and 
you know, obviously the Mavericks do have some individual talent in terms of their defenders. You know, you look at a Reggie Bullock, a Dorian Finney-Smith, a Josh Green, but, you know, the Mavericks are definitely by no means the most, one of the more talented defensive teams, um, but they do have the ability to be at least maybe a top 15 defense of my, in my opinion, if they can find that equal medium in terms of mixing up zone and man-to-man defense. And if they can just be synchronized within their team scheme, uh, like they were last year, you know, Jason Kidd's proven um, as, as much as, you know, we have our, um, I guess, disgruntlements or whatever you want to call it with how he's led the rotations this year. He has proven to be, have been a really good defensive coach in this league. And if he can get the guys synchronized like he did last year, I think that that really bodes well for the Mavericks, especially when they're switching out in between schemes. You need a lot of communication between your players in those instances. And in the second half, the Mavericks were really indicative of that. And that was part of the reason the Mavericks were able to limit the Jazz to only 22 fourth quarter points. Now, just getting into some of the guys that worked well, I mean, I thought Josh Green was all over the place. It's really uh, fun seeing him operate within his own because he just seems like he's running within circles within his, um, you know, allotted floor floor space that he's supposed to cover. He kind of seems like a frantic rabbit but I guess those of you on Twitter would digress and call him um, a sugar glider of course I I still we weren't around for last season as much so I really don't know how that uh, nickname originated Um, but more power to you I'm all here for it anyways but no I mean he was really active defensively as he has been in all these games and he was one of the main leaders I thought of that zone just in he had a steal where you know, he got on the ground and he fought for, you know, fought for a ball really hard. The Mavericks were, you know, kind of getting stabbed in terms of losing some of these 50-50 balls in this game. But, you know, particularly in that fourth quarter, more often than not, I thought that they started to come away with them. And that was also a really huge development. Um, you know, I don't think uh, Josh Green was technically statistically – accredited with a steal, but he definitely was was. an an instigator of at least one or two, in my opinion. Um, And also Maxi Kleber, he had really good uh, weak side help defense, particularly in that lineup where Christian Wood was playing with him and he was, and there were, there was a two big lineup and Maxi was able to play really good help D in those instances where he wasn't the lone big on the floor Um, within the zone. uh, There were like countless times where, you know, Markinen or Jared Vanderbilt would, you know, get one of the Mavericks caught lacking on a backdoor cut, or they would just simply break the zone through the Jazz's ball movement. And Maxi was there to save the day. And he had two blocks. And though he didn't, he didn't put up any field goals in this game, his rebounding and his defense was, um, I mean, it was essential for the Mavericks in this one. And I thought that he played really well within this zone. Um, so, you know, fast forwarding to the fourth quarter, I really want to highlight this lineup of Spencer Dinwiddie. I think it started with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Reddy, uh, later became Reggie Bullock, um, then Josh Green, then Christian Wood and Maxi. And this lineup was the main instigator in terms of, you know, getting the, the engines turning for the Mavericks and really taking heed within that fourth quarter to uh, really start to run away with this one from the Jazz. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the Mavericks really never 
put their foot down and stomped on the Jazz in any dominative sort of fashion by any means. Uh, The Jazz kept it close. It was a clutch game by all standards. But, I mean, this was what got the Mavericks to, you know, keep and maintain the league, uh, the lead, and in no small part due to Christian Wood's play within that fourth quarter. There was a lot of discourse regarding Mavs fans on Twitter earlier today in regards to Christian Wood and Luka Doncic. And with Christian Wood's last three games in which he hasn't scored the best and Kristaps Porzingis's tenure on the Mavericks that Luca and Christian Wood, you know, there are going to be times where it looks better than others, but bottom of the line is that when Luka Doncic is the main primary ball handler on your team, it's going to be hard to feature a big. And, you know, while there may be credence to that, that doesn't mean that Christian Wood can't have a quintessential role on this team. He can still be the second best player, in my opinion. Sure, there may be times where the pick and pop or the pick and roll given the opponent. Um, and, you know, in terms of Christian Wood doing those things with Luca, maybe a little less prominent. And, you know, maybe those things might get passed by certain opponents. But when Christian Wood, you know, this is a guy I think that has proven to an extent that at times he can be a primary source of offense, especially in non-Luca minutes. And the way he was able to um, pick on mismatches uh, in that fourth quarter and just establish himself as a rebounding presence. And he didn't really look, he didn't really, you know, contribute a whole lot defense. I mean, defensively in terms of, you know, anything wowing, but he didn't look like a black hole by any means. He looked like he held his ground out there and for him to be that much of a force on the glass and his ability to, um, you know, pinpoint mismatches and then go to work on them. You know, in the first half, he looked a little indecisive at times when he get a mismatch But that second half, you know, it, it was just straight bully ball when he got anybody smaller on him and he was making them pay. It was a, a huge far cry from the Chris Steps Porzingis tenure in Dallas. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that can continually take over mismatches and dominate with on them. So I just wanted to get your thought on Christian Wood really leading the charge for the Mavericks in that early fourth quarter. Yeah, no, I, you know, in what in what role he's given right now, you know, to see Christian Wood kind of take control, especially after all this sort of outside noise that has been going on around, or I guess centered around him. Uh, I mean, to see him come out, I think he had 17 points in the second half uh, and really led the charge in that, you know, that early fourth quarter unit. Uh, you know, it, it's just the way he scored his buckets. Uh, you know, he only went one for five from three. We were used to, I think, seeing these like three of three, two of two type threes or type games from him where he's shooting uh, lights out from three point line. And, you know, this was a game where he got it down low. He got the buckets down low. He got the buckets and and really grind them out kind of fashion. He had a, another 10 board game like this guy's a double double machine. He's putting, you know, numbers up and to see him, you know, kind of get in that sort of fashion, I think is really promising and especially the tenacity that he came out with, you know, there's multiple times that game where, uh, and as, I mean, I'm especially pointing out that putback dunk where it kind of just seemed like it was the turning point of the game uh, where the crowd got into it. The players were getting into it, the bench was hype. Like it, it kind of seemed like he was really almost the tide uh, that really changed this game from, you know, just sticking around with, I wouldn't even call Utah a bad team by any means, but sticking around with a team that, you know, you're better than, and really, setting the notion that you know this team can be something 
uh and you know especially like i mentioned like with some out outside noise like to come out and do that like I, it impresses me and especially with the the fourth quarter minute woes that we've seen uh throughout these last few games like it, it's it's a little promising no yeah 100 percent. It, it definitely bodes well for the christian would believer crowd that wants to see this guy get more minutes I, i'm a part of that I, I'll, yeah. I'll admit that no i mean me too and you know not that the last three games are a fluke by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a certain level that this guy can achieve. And, you know, while some on Twitter, you know, definitely are right in their assumptions that yes, it's always not going to be a perfect synchronization in terms of his direct offensive production with Luka Doncic. That's not to say that he can't contribute to the game um, in other ways, you know, when he gets isolation possessions, his offensive rebounding and putback ability, there are plenty of other ways that, you know, he can contribute to the game, not impeding upon a great Luka game, you know, and I, I think that a lot of fans would be surprised um, just that the, you know, when Christian Wood become starts to dominate like that, the amount of opportunities that's going to open up, you know, within the pick and roll and pick and pop for Luka because, you know, that's going to press teams to key in more so on Christian Wood and, uh, you know, that's that just makes the situation even harder to guard uh, when you have him and Luca running any sort of actions together. So, you know, that was really fun to see that. I really enjoyed seeing that lineup in the beginning of the uh, fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, as the fourth quarter persisted uh, that once Luca came back in, um, I believe Luca came back in for, I want to say Spencer, I know Spencer ended up closing. It may have been Josh Green. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Josh Green. And they kept Reggie out there. And they ended up rolling with, I believe, to close the game, it was Luca, Dorian, Reggie, Spencer, and Maxi. Because uh, Christian Wood went out around the four-minute mark. And there was obviously some skepticism um, just in the fact that Christian Wood wasn't playing. It was really – Definitely a little off kilter. He had played a long stretch, probably almost about 12 minutes before that. But, you know, you were kind of just still waiting for that game that kid's going to break the rotation and, you know, decide to increase Wood's workload and minutes or just, you know, play him within the last few minutes. So, you know, while I wasn't in full agreement of that and I did have some questions as to how that fourth quarter would close, the Jazz, um, they definitely could kind of hung around. Um, they were real. They started to really figure out the zone. I thought in the latter half of the fourth quarter. Unfortunately for them, it was just too late. Vanderbilt got some tough finishes at the rim. Markinen had some really good um, cuts and his ability um, in the short roll, in which I thought he started to really get going. So there was definitely some scary things that started to develop at that juncture in the game, but the Mavericks were able to um, counter it with uh, Dinwiddie, who, you know, I think he had like a late step back three at one point. Um, Luca's just sheer dominance. He turned into another year in that second half in terms of limiting the silly play and the turnovers. He looked really good in the fourth quarter, which was nice after a rough stretch against OKC the other night uh, when that game when the Mavericks, you know, obviously blew their 16 point lead with four minutes left. And, you know, also 
I thought, you know, the man of the hour, of course, is the guy who Mavs fans were really calling for this guy's number all game, you know, just due to the fact, you know, he did play pretty well defensively, to be honest with you, um, just as an on-ball defender. But he definitely passed up quite a bit of open threes at some points and, you know, went one for four on open threes. And people were definitely dogging this guy saying, oh, you know, why do you got to wait till January to turn around every year? And, you know, while there is credence to that argument, you know, Reggie Bullock, Luca, Dinwiddie, I believe, were passing at the top of the key. And, you know, my memory is kind of fading me here. I forget exactly the sort of events that transpired there. Um, but, you know, the, they were able to swing it to Reggie um, when one of the playmakers at the wing, I believe, got double teamed. And he was wide open in the corner for a three. And he knocked it down after not having made a shot all game. And this put the Mavericks ahead by three. Colin Sexton ended up getting a layup at the – or no, this put the Mavericks ahead by five. five. Colin yeah. Sexton ended up getting a layup at the other end to cut the three. Um, the Mavericks uh, ensuing possession, Dinwiddie had the ball. He crossed the absolute shit out of, I believe it was – Conley or Sexton um but then he had a mid-range jumper that was way short um Sexton advanced the ball and there was about three or so seconds left the Jazz ran an inbounds play and they got Jordan Clarkson a corner three to try and tie the game and send it to overtime in which he missed and Maxi Kleber absolutely smothered that shot it was a really good end of possession uh, defensive stand by the Mavericks right there um, with limited time left. Something that I definitely got worried about, especially given the last few games, but they were able to hold up and it was a really fun win. I mean, you know, not to act like, you know, this win definitely is more impressive than the Orlando win or the Orlando win for that matter. I was going to say OKC, but then I remember the last Mavericks lost it. <laughs> Um, but it's definitely more impressive than the Orlando win, for instance, because, you know, while this Jazz team, you know, they could easily fall off here in the next 10 games and become, you know, an absolute um, front runner for the win bomb sweepstakes. But, you know, at this current time, they're playing really good basketball and they're six and three and the Mavericks really need this. And, you know, it seemed like the ultimate trap game coming in that the Mavericks would come in and drop this, you know, despite them having a worse record than the Jazz. I think we can all agree that they do have better personnel. Um, but the Mavericks were really able to pull through at the end there and, you know, mend their clutch time woes that they've had to start the season to an extent. I mean, obviously, you know, by no means is a win versus the Jazz completely just fixing all those issues. But it was nice to see them pull through in the end. Do you have any thoughts regarding the Mavericks closing out that fourth quarter? Uh, maybe if just in terms of Christian Wood not playing or anything of that nature or just the Mavericks finally getting over the hump? Yeah, I mean, uh, to say getting over the hump might be a little bit of stretch, but, you know, the Mavericks finally had, you know, something to put the game away. You know, you can argue against the Magic, but, uh, I mean, there's arguments to be made. Like, that game was not pretty. Like, this game was a pretty, from what I can see, it was a pretty, you know, well-rounded game. You know, it had its times where the Mavericks were down by 15, coming back um this is this is a team effort and you know we we really saw it in that fourth quarter whenever the Mavericks you know we're kind of clamoring to that three-point lead there for a while 
because uh, I was holding my breath looking at the box score for 103 to 100 for 35 seconds or whatever it was. Um, I, I think it was longer than that. I think it was like 52 seconds. Um, and, you know, you're holding your breath, but like it, it was a team effort. And, that, you know, that you want to see that out of a team that coming into the league was like or coming into the season uh, was really like that was their their high point was like this team is well knit. You know, we haven't seen that a whole lot this season. And to finally get a win like that, I think that tells a lot about, uh, you know, the team and where they are right now and hopefully, you know, bouncing back. I do got one question. It's kind of a funny one. Um, I saw on the box sheet or score sheet, whatever, uh, that we had a technical foul. May I ask who that technical foul was adjusted to? I believe that it was a defensive three-second call. Oh, okay. All right. Then never mind. That, that makes yeah, sense. I think it was actually on JaVale, funny, um, funny enough. I'm pretty sure that that's what um, – it was either on JaVale or Dwight Powell, but it was a defensive three-second call, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that, that makes it a little less. But yeah. I, um, I thought it was going to be something else. No, yeah. So, you know, now, now that we've covered the game uh, sequentially, just, you know, from top to bottom – from start to finish, of course, you know, I want to kind of leave the floor to you and let you ask any questions you have in regards to just any individual questions about the game from things that we haven't got into just from the standpoint that you didn't watch it, of course, unfortunately, um, you know, we didn't really get into Josh Green, Dwight Powell, yeah. they played too much in this game. Um, the center rotation, JaVale McGee, you know, certain antics in terms of Jason Kidd, his rotations, all that sort of stuff. So, and I kind of wanted to leave the floor to you at this point, see what sort of questions you had from that standpoint. Yeah. So opening up, you know, to me, this guy was really the guy that kind of stood out to me. It kind of seemed like, you know, fans were calling out his number for, you know, being less aggressive, trying to be someone who he wasn't. And it seemed like tonight he kind of put that away, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, you know, I didn't watch the game, of course, but to me on the box sheet, it looks like he was much more aggressive, much more looking to score instead of looking to pass and get teammates involved. Uh, I guess just what I'm asking, like, did it look that way or was it still, you know, it, it was just shots hitting. Uh, and he's still I mean, like kind of. Timid. I think the box score for Dinwiddie is just misleading to an extent. It says eight for, eight for 20 for four for 11 from three. But I mean, he was largely. You know, he he had his typical Din, Dinwiddie step back threes and pull up threes that, you know, you're just like, okay, you know, don't know if you should really be shooting that right now. But I mean, I thought he was largely impactful in the his ability to get to the rim in this game. Um, you know, while he didn't necessarily contribute to a lot of direct passes and he still had his fair share of Dinwiddie, um, just sort of screw ups in terms of a playmaking perspective. Um, you know, he's listed as only having one turnover, but he had a couple very, you know, questionable decisions, you know, per usual. I, I will continually say that he is a really good isolation score and shot creator, but not the secondary quote unquote playmaker that the Mavericks need. Yeah. You know, can he be that tertiary playmaker to an extent? Yeah. Like, he, he had a nice pick and roll with JaVale at one point um, where he actually – no, it's Christian, Christian Wood, my bad. And he actually completed a lob pass. It was very high, but luckily for him, um, Christian Wood was able to soar and get it. He actually ended up – they ran a little action with him and Josh Green at the top of the key where they ran a pick and roll, and Josh Green ended up getting fouled, and 
he ended up shooting two free throws in which he missed. But Both those were two. Were. I mean, they, he had some instances where he looked decent. Um, you know, a little more comfortable playmaking. You know, I think while Spencer Dinwiddie obviously is not the penultimate secondary playmaker the Mavericks need, I think he is a, at least a little better than what he's shown so far. I'm not saying that he's that guy or anything like that. I think he is a little better than he's shown at least though. And he looked really good as an off-ball defender. This is a trend that we're starting to see. I mean, Dinwiddie had four steals in this game, most of them coming from intercepting passing lanes. Um, you know, I've never – I'm not going to be one to, you know, relinquish that Spencer Dinwiddie is a really good individual one-on-one defender by any means. But, you know, it seems that he definitely has a better grasp of the Mavericks' defensive scheme this year. And he really thrived within the zone defense in this game, and I feel like that's irrefutable. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that, that's – I thought he played a really good game. And, you know, his, it, he was looking really comfortable attacking. If you take away his four for 11 from three, um, he was, you know, four for nine on drives. But, you know, the, obviously I think a lot of fans will – you know, Spencer wasn't getting his normal whistle in this one, I would say. Um, a lot yeah. of fans would definitely, you know, kind of dog him for the standpoint of him always trying to draw this – sort of like weird, silly fouls that only get called under certain ref crews. Um, but, you know, if he gets that, I mean, he could have easily had a 25 to, you know, 30-point game, depending on who was refing the game, you know, some of the calls that he didn't get. So I, I think that that's why the box score is a little misleading. But, I mean, overall, I thought he played a really good game, to be honest with you. One of his best that he's had this season, uh, definitely, because he's had some duds in some of these games. Yeah, no, Definitely um one or not one more but you know this one I guess this kind of stands out to me a lot uh you know with Reggie and Dorian you know usually in these really close games where you know two teams are battling out what seems like all night you know you you usually see them play I I feel like up up north of 35 minutes a game uh we only saw 26 minutes from Dorian and we only saw 29 minutes from Reggie uh, and I think that speaks to Josh Green's kind of a surgence this season. Uh, and definitely with the comments that Jason Kidd had said the last few days where, you know, trying to get, jo- uh, trying to get Josh Green more involved, you know, he played 19 minutes this game. I think that's a season high. Um, I guess like how much of a load does that really take off of Dorian and Reggie? Like, was that noticeable this game at all? Um, you know, it kind of, I'm going to be honest here, like, you know, just judging by the box score, it kind of seems like Josh Green is more productive than, Reggie and Dorian minus like no. the yeah I mean a hundred percent um I can't really speak to how noticeable it was offensively um I thought Dorian and Reggie played really good defensively um you know it's hard to tell in one game if they had you know how much fresher their legs were having got you know five to ten more minutes of rest but you know I thought that they did play a pretty good defensive game and you know they rarely have like bad defensive games um, but Josh Green, you know, outside of just – he didn't really ex- get the blessings of having, you know, a ton of, you know, all these open driving lanes. I didn't really feel like he was passing really anything down. Um, but within the flow of the offense, he got two wide-open corner th- uh, threes – or three, actually. He only missed one. He made the other two. And he just seemed like he was playing a key role within the defensive scheme – one of the more active participants in that zone um, had, you know, he didn't have any steals or blocks credited, but he affected the game and he definitely should have had at least a few cre- accredited to him just in his standpoint to switch and 
cover multiple areas, you know, within his own scheme at different times. And I mean, obviously he's a really good man-to-man defender, but it was really, really impressive to see him be able to, you know, cover on a different, within a different defensive scheme. And I think in this game, this goes to show that, you know, this is going to be a guy that's going to be able to take that burden off of Reggie and Dorian to an extent as we proceed with games here. You know, obviously we're going to have to see as we keep going forward, but just the way he's played in this recent stretch, especially it, he hasn't really even t- tapped into, you know, some of the offensive, you know, just the, you know, things that he can do in terms of controlling his offensive game currently, not even things like future developments in terms of like the whole ball handling situation, but just being a little more assertive. He hasn't really even tapped into that this season. And, but just yet his defense alone and his improved um, stroke from the outside are warranting him minutes. And, you know, we've talked about how quintessential that third three and D player on this roster would be, you know, preferably, preferably even, you know, the best of the best teams in the NBA are going to have four. And yeah. Mavericks to, you know, for Green to relieve some minutes off of those guys. You know, I, I don't know if Reggie and Bullock necessarily had the most assertive game um, from shooting it outside. But because, you know, I think that this was a very ISO heavy game when you look at, you know, Christian Wood, Dinwiddie and Luca. But, you know, um, you know, we'll have to see a bigger sample size to see if Josh Green is actually relieving pressure from those guys. And it's like truly indicative that he's doing that. We'll have to see that over a larger sample size, but it definitely was encouraging. And I thought he played a hell of a game tonight. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, I guess like my last question uh, regarding this big man rotation, we're kind of seeing like a four man sort of semi rotation. I guess you can kind of throw JaVale McGee out of there. I mean, he's just kind of a spot starter at this point. Um, you know, with the assurance of Dwight Powell's what seems like a revenge season or revenge tour, um, you know, you have Maxi, you have Christian playing 25 minutes a game, and then you have Dwight Powell playing 19 minutes a game all of a sudden. Uh, I guess like how much, you know, flexibility does that arrive or does that like bring to this Mavericks roster? I know Dwight, not the strongest guy to put one-on-one on a center, but you know, I feel like, you know, you mentioned this, you tweeted this, he's a solid, you know, like sort of uh, like, I I, I don't know how to word it. Um, Like he has aspects to his defense that are solid, you know, how much, you know, do you feel comfortable, I guess, leaving Dwight one-on-one or not one-on-one, but like, do you, do you feel comfortable leaving Dwight, you know, just by himself uh, in a rotation of himself where he's, he is the five, uh, you know, so, sort of how he was like last year where we just got dominated in the paint whenever he was playing. Uh, I guess, are we seeing more of that this season where it's just kind of, you know, whenever Dwight's in the game, you know, you just attack him, or is this a little different? Like, is this just Dwight's actually, you know, asserting himself and he's playing good defense um, you know, with this kind of sort of team defensive-minded uh, aspect that the Mavericks are trying to bring to this team? You know, I, I think it's scheme-dependent to an extent. I think the okay. reason that Dwight is able to be so good within a zone is because it uh, it showcases his best abilities as a defender, which is his lateral quickness for being that size, um, ability to just, you know, move side to side, have to cover multiple areas. He's not glued to one guy who could just beat him down or drive on him or back him down. And he's able to kind of like, you know, do his whole like frantic sort of, you know, approach on a guy. I think 
for you know multitude multitudes of reasons like that. Um, you know, especially against some of these smaller teams, you know, you, you can the Jazz don't have a definite sort of five. You know, obviously Walker Kessler, he played four minutes in this one. He wasn't really largely effective by any means, but you know, Dwight against you know, guys that we would consider more fours like Olenek, Markinen, Vanderbilt. These are obviously, you know, fairly uber-talented offensive players, but, you know, none of them have the sort of size or just sheer – I don't really know exactly how to word it um, – persistence that, you know, you would see out of some of the more elite centers in the game. And – when Dwight's matched up on guys that are more, you know, even keel with him in terms of his size and what have you, his aggressive, his aggressiveness can win out in certain scenarios. And especially, especially when the scheme is right, he doesn't, he's not particularly terrible. And I think that's the reason that he had a, such a good defensive game. You know, I think a lot of the gripes that Mavericks fans have with Dwight's defense is when he gets matched up against a guard and he just gets blown by because, you know, while he is fairly quick for a center, he just isn't able to turn his hips fast enough, stay with some of these guards because he does have some sort of weird weirdness in terms of his ability to flip his hips, particularly when he's outmatched with speed. And when he just gets outmuscled by guys that are bigger than him, um, just because, you know, he doesn't really have the wingspan to be able to keep up or the size that a JaVale McGee might, even though JaVale hasn't been doing that. I was just thinking about the example. Through, you know, like this game alone, like, you know, this, they don't really have like a natural five other than Walker Kessler. Did we, cause you know, again, I didn't watch the game. Like did Dwight get back down? Did he get bodied like at any point against like the Linux or uh, Markinens? Like did, did we see like classic Dwight or was it honestly like the team? Uh, it was, it was a far cry from that because they played so much zone. Yeah. Okay. That it really, there was no, I, there wasn't really a ton of, you know, especially in the minutes that Dwight played, he really didn't get in consistently. He he, he kind of played spot minutes within the first and third, but he, he also played within the second and fourth quarter. Um, and in, in those instances, like he was, he was mostly in the zone minutes and within that scheme, he looked really well. He, there wasn't, he wasn't really asked to guard guys one-on-one a ton. Um, there may have been a few mis- instances where Markinen or Vanderbilt maybe got a blow by on him or something like that. But barring that, he he honestly looked really good. Um, and offensively, he was rebounding the ball really well. He had a couple putback layups. And just, you know, his typical pick and roll fit with Luca was really good. So that was really encouraging to see in terms of that. I And, you know, I'll just kind of rattle off in terms of how JaVale did um, since I feel like that might have been a question that you had. You know, four points in eight minutes. Um, Luke had a really nice lob past him at the beginning of the game. Um, there were a few instances that were kind of enraging in that first quarter where JaVale could have easily had a rebound, but he just didn't grab the ball. And as, you know, consequentially, the Jazz were able to get an offensive rebound. Um, he did some weird sort of things, but, I mean, he didn't really do anything that was terrible um but he had like one or two bad defensive possessions and he's just kind of instant pulled it just kind of bewilders me as to why he's starting when you know if you're not going to play him longer than eight minutes I don't, I don't know it's just a weird complex this whole JaVale McGee situation and it seems like the Mavericks aren't shying away from sticking with them 
for well, at least, well, at least in terms of starting him, but yeah, and it's shying away from sticking with him throughout a game, but it just makes no sense as to why even play him in the first place. You know, if he's not, you know, I, I can see him having to play against some of these bigger centers like a Jokic or an Embiid, but even then, you know, his defensive presence is minimal even against some of these smaller guys. So I, the situation just weird and I will continue to monitor it, but it's not looking encouraging right now. Maybe father time's got the message available, but uh, maybe uh, do, the, we, do we see any world where he's just out of the rotation completely? Oh uh, yeah. Going forward. I, I could definitely see that, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the way Dwight's playing right now, you know, you would reckon that if one of these centers is going to be out by the trade deadline, it would be JaVale. But, you know, how much value does he really have even on that contract? I don't I don't know. These are all future um, concerning questions, but it, it's provocative. And um, I don't know, just you get, you get another kind of like nothingness game from JaVale. And it, I don't know what it is in terms of the minutes he's playing or his defense. You know, he didn't really do too much to, – like bad or good defensively tonight, but it was just weird. Um, you know, barring that, we talked about Reggie. Like I said, Dorian didn't have a, too much of an assertive offensive game, but, you know, barring that, there really isn't like too much more else to cover. Tim Hardaway Jr., I guess, he played a really bad offensive game. He went one for nine from the field, one for six from three. Did you have any questions about him? You know, typical – um, kind of saloon door activities from him on defense as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Not the best game from him. Uh, you know, like when Tim Hardaway's having these type of games where like it, it seems like the team, you know, 103 points by, you know, NBA standards isn't a whole lot. Like does, does Tim Hardaway have a huge effect on that, on this team? Like sort of, I guess like, you know, how much of an effect does Tim Hardaway having a bad night affect this team whenever, you know, say Luca is doing his thing and, you know, it seems like Spencer's going off. Like, does Tim Hardaway have any effect whenever these guys are doing their thing? Um, yeah, I guess, like, that's my question. Um, I mean, yeah, he's – this is a guy who, you know, his main primary role on a team, and particularly this Mavericks team, is to – swing a game offensively and yeah. Tim can swing a game where the Mavericks aren't playing up to their standard into a win, or he could, you know, dwindle a game where they could easily run away with if he plays good into a loss. And, you know, obviously it was a rougher game for him, 21 minutes and just made a three and did nothing else, but you know, it's a Tim Hardaway junior experience. Um, but we're just hoping that we have more good than bad or else my proposed Ben Simmons trade will come into fruition and everybody will be happy. I'm just, oh, I, I'm not, and not in agreement with those practices for everybody who is hypercritical of me putting that on Twitter today. Uh, I'm not vouching for Ben Simmons on the Mavericks. I just thought it was a, it was a fun proposition, but in all seriousness, yeah, I mean, Tim had a really bad game, but I'm just hoping he can turn it around because I would really only say he's probably had one good game out of seven games this year, which is, you know, pretty concerning because you want, Tim to you know you're gonna put up with Tim's duds of course but you have to keep those more few and far in between maybe one good game for every dud but he's he's kind of not near that rate right now so that's that's definitely concerning it's definitely looking almost like the Tim Hardaway Jr. of last year to start the year yeah Uh, I guess before we end the podcast looking at just how the Jazz played in this game uh, Conley and Clarkson looked really assertive I I really like their one-two punch ball handle perspective 
you know, I know it, it was Luca, but they definitely gave him trouble in that first half and their ability to get into the lane. They both had eight assists. Um, Conley still looks really good. Both guys I would love on the Mavericks if they were ever so inclined to trade them, but not for a first round pick, at least for Conley. Um, maybe Clarkson you could talk me into. But Conley at least um, is definitely rekindling some of his value. I, you know, had persisted that he wasn't washed after the playoffs. He just, you know, needed to have kind of a lesser role. And now he's a little more laxed on, um, you know, a presumed tanking team, even though they are playing really good to start the season. He looks good again. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt looks really good. Laurie Markinen didn't put up any of his godlike performances that he's been doing to start the year. I thought the Mavericks did a really good, good job keying in on him. When Dorian played with him and mirrored his minutes, he did a really good job. Um, it's particularly like when the Mavericks did actually go to man, just kind of staying with him. And when he when they were in zone, he would rotate over. He had really good contests on his shots. And I honestly was really impressed by that. Um, Kelly Olenek, you know, he had a few mid-range pull-up jumpers. Um, typical, you know, he just kind of a – he kind of just does, like, a little bit of everything. Interesting. I've always kind of liked the way he plays, but he, he's a fun addition in their starting lineup. Uh, barring that, I thought Sexton played well at the bench. He was kind of shooting rough at first, but he really started to pick it up in terms of his ability to get to the rim. There in that second half, part of the reason that I guess a lot of the Mavericks fans were pining so heavily for him over the offseason. Seems like every guy on this roster um, was talked about in a trade discussion yeah, pretty much. the Mavericks at one point. I mean, Kelly Olenek was essentially shipped to the Mavericks in that Dragic deal, but that never happened. Maxi almost got swapped from Lori Markinen at one point last season. We've all brought up Jared Vanderbilt, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and Colin Sexton and Malik Beasley in trade talks. If you're a Mavericks fan, you've definitely engaged in some sort of social discourse on a social media platform regarding those players. Um, but yeah, or even a thought. Yes, even a mere thought in your head. Um, besides, um, <laughs> Malik Beasley, he had three threes. He seemed like he might catch fire there for a sec, but then he kind of just cooled off. Um, but yeah, but besides that, oh, Taylor Horton Tucker, he had. One, um, you know, really thunderous one-handed jam where Christian Wood failed to get back on defense in the fourth quarter. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that was essentially it for the Jazz. And then Rudy Gay had a mid-range pull-up jumper. But, I mean, nobody else really contributed offensively. I thought Vanderbilt looked really good defensively. Um, let's see. Honestly, barring that, Conley had some stretches where – he was able to show and defend, you know, some of the Mavericks guards kind of aggressive, particularly Dinwiddie at some certain points. But, you know, Jordan Clarkson was his typical saloon door self on defense. I mean, honestly, after that, like, you know, I don't really think there's too much to cover in this one. But, you know, it was a really fun game. And, you know, I continue to persist with the narrative that a win is a win at this point. And, you know, it's by – you know, this is, you know, you can rank wins and where the Mavericks should be. And there's obviously adjustments they still need to make and their rotations by no means are set, but, you know, we just got to kind of wait and see how it all pans out. Cause at this point, you know, it just kind of is what it is, especially with Jason Kidd and 
his stubbornness. You know, there were some interesting quotes regarding Dinwiddie and Dwight Powell. He gave him some praise after the game. I haven't listened to that, so I'll have to listen to that later. But glad to see that. Christian Will got the post-game interview for Valley Sports Southwest, and he gave Luca some praise and talked about his fit within the offense and how, you know, Luca made came up to him and made it a point that he wanted to be more assertive and get him more involved. And that's good. I hope that that continues to be um, something that we see going forward. So, you know, barring that, I really have no more thoughts. Do you? No, you know, I, I think that it was a good, all like it was a good team win. Uh, one that the guys needed. Uh, is it safe to say this is probably the best one of the season? Yeah. I mean, so far I would, I would definitely say that just in the, sense of how needy it was for this Mavericks team for them to pull this one out. Um, but yeah, no, besides that, um, follow us on Twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs. Make sure to follow us or subscribe on any of your favorite uh, podcasting platforms, whatever you're listening on, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a five-star rating and hit us up or comment on those ratings if you guys enjoy our content. Thank you for listening this far in the show. We will see you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.